Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Home is usually the place where a person feels the safest. This is why home invasions are perhaps the most frightening crime that can occur to a person or family, particularly because it's unexpected and victims likely do not see it coming. While home invasions are mostly personal or committed by someone close to the victim, many of these crimes remain unsolved. Unsolved home invasions this week on Mysteriously Listed. Number 5. Samantha Folsom After not hearing from their 26-year-old daughter for three days, John and Jolene Turner went to Samantha Folsom's apartment on November 9, 2011, to make sure she was okay. Samantha had a drug problem but didn't check into rehab as promised, and she hadn't posted on Facebook for more than a week. She wasn't returning their calls, which was now going straight to voicemail. They had a bad feeling that something was wrong. A maintenance worker let them into her home on Oxford Street in Lewiston, Maine. Inside, the TV and lights were on, but Samantha was nowhere to be seen. Then they opened a closet door by the front entryway, only to find Samantha's deceased body lying in the fetal position on the floor. It took more than a year for Samantha's death to be classified as a homicide, It was initially classified as undetermined, but police later reclassified her death as a murder. Her exact cause of death has never been revealed. When the investigation into Samantha's murder did finally begin, it seemed police had quite a few obvious suspects. Samantha's ex-husband, Jesse Folsom, and her current boyfriend. The only issue was both men were in jail at the time of Samantha's murder. Jessie was in jail for assaulting Samantha's new boyfriend, and her boyfriend was in jail for assaulting her. After both men were cleared, police had very little to go on. Samantha's case eventually grew cold, and police have not released any further information about a potential suspect to the public. This would be until a reporter for Maine's Portland Herald newspaper was able to dig up some new details about the case when he interviewed the residents of Samantha's apartment complex. Samantha's next-door neighbour told the reporter she was interviewed by the police and she was shown a picture of a potential person of interest. The reporter stated that, quote, Detectives came to her door and they showed her a picture of this person and they asked her if she recognised this person, unquote. The person in the picture was a man with a dark complexion, wearing a shirt and tie, and some sort of badge. It is unclear if this person is still a person of interest to the police, as he has never been publicly identified. 
Years have passed and no arrests have been made for Samantha's murder. Maine State Police have reportedly said they are still closing in on the investigation. But almost 10 years later, no arrests have been made. Number 4. Ashley Love On the night of October 5th, 2009, 19-year-old Ashley Love spent it with her family watching a Green Bay Packers football game. Later, she would have a shower, say goodnight to her parents, Tammy and Joe, and her two brothers, and she went to bed. Nothing was out of the ordinary in Ashley's life. In the summer of that year, she had graduated from high school with honours. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do with her life, so she was taking her time and working at the local mall's Arby's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, while she figured things out. Ashley would later be described as being intelligent, sweet and hard-working. Just before 2am, two armed intruders would enter the Love residence – They would enter into Ashley's room on the second floor and shoot her point-blank in the face while she slept. The sound would stir Tammy from her sleep. Not sure what she was hearing, but she then heard the sound of footsteps running down the stairs. She would open the door and see the intruders, guns in hand. As the intruders ran out of the home, Tammy thought the family were being robbed. She checked her son's. They were fine, if not rattled from the commotion. It would be when she found Ashley that Tammy realised the true motive of the gunman. Nothing was taken from the home, so investigators deemed this was not a robbery gone wrong, that Ashley would have been the specific target. Tammy would later describe the intruders as being Hispanic, aged in their early 20s of average height and build. Investigators scoured over Ashley's social media accounts to see if there was a connection to anyone matching the intruders' descriptions, but no new leads surfaced. Ashley's friends were no help either. However, in December 2009, investigators would discover a mystery man Ashley had met online. The two had actually met in person several times prior to her murder. Ashley's parents and investigators would make a public plea for this man to come forward. However, to date, he never has. The news that Ashley may have had a secret romantic interest came as a surprise to her friends, who would claim the close-knit group told each other everything. But did she have a reason to keep this man a secret? Still, Ashley's friend Joey would be quoted as saying, they talk about people having a double life and stuff. But Ashley was way too honest to have a double life, unquote. Evidence was collected from the love home, but what this evidence is is being kept under wraps, due to this being an open and active investigation. Ashley's family mourns the loss of their beloved daughter and sister. They hope that one day her killers will be brought to justice. However, sadly, more than a decade later, her murder remains unsolved. Number 3. Nehemiah Kaufman and Sydney Land 
In June 2016, 20-year-old Nehemiah Kaufman and 21-year-old Sydney Land were just beginning a new chapter of their lives together. The two were in a happy relationship and had moved in together into an apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada. However, not all was smooth as the couple had hoped. Nehemiah had problems with some of his associates in relation to his drug use. One of these associates was a man named Shane Valentine. Valentine was a known pimp in the area with prior arrests for assault with a deadly weapon and home invasion. On October 6, 2016, Valentine pulled a gun and threatened to kill Sydney, one of Sydney's friends and Nehemiah, at a parking garage in a local Las Vegas casino. Valentine was allegedly upset with Nehemiah because he had something that Valentine wanted back. No one reported this incident to police. Possibly because of this, Valentine would later turn up at Nehemiah's mother's home asking for him. When she told Valentine that he didn't live there anymore, Valentine shot into the home. Thankfully, no one was injured in this attack. Three weeks later, on October 27, 2016, Sydney's cousin was concerned as she hadn't heard from Sydney in several days. She would go to her cousin's home to check on her at her apartment, and this was when she made the grim discovery. Nehemiah was found dead on the living room floor and Sydney in the bedroom. Both had been shot to death approximately 24 hours earlier. Shane Valentine was questioned about the murders, but he denied any involvement. It is widely believed, however, that Valentine is the one responsible, either by himself pulling the trigger or he having someone else committing the crime on his behalf. Despite this, police have stated that Valentine is not considered a suspect in the unsolved murder case. However, he has not been ruled out either. Valentine is currently in prison on charges unrelated to Nehemiah and Sydney's deaths. In 1956, Irma and Gregor Palasics, who fled Hungary after with their young daughters for a better life in Australia, it was a struggle with the family at first, as they couldn't speak any English and they didn't know anyone. But they would buy some land on which they would build their own home, before selling it and starting all over again. This was a successful venture for them and they settled into life which they loved and they were happy. In 1962, their business would take them to Red Hill, a suburb of Canberra. They bought some land and built the home they wanted to raise their children in, grow old in and enjoy what would be their five grandchildren in. In 1997, a person or persons who have never been identified broke into their home. Irma and Gregor didn't trust banks, so they would always have a lot of cash in their home. In total, $100,000 would be stolen, plus some jewellery. No arrests would be made for the break-in. One year later, in 1998, Irma would be home to find two men wearing balaclavas in her garage. One of the men attacked her, and in the struggle, she managed to pull off his balaclava. When she did, he let her go, but promised he would return to finish what he started. 
Then he and his partner ran off into the darkness of the night. The ordeal obviously terrified Irma. She and Grigor decided to sell their beloved home and the couple moved to the neighbouring suburb of McKellar. They spent a lot of money on security, but sadly, it would not stop what happened next. Saturday, November 6, 1999, at about 9.30pm. Irma and Grigor were enjoying a night in watching television when two men wearing balaclavas broke into their home. They tied up the elderly couple and beat them severely. The home invaders demanded to know where the money was. Over the next two hours, they ransacked the home and tortured Irma and Grigor. Then the two men left with some money and jewellery. After they were gone, Grigor, who was battered and covered in blood, he was able to free himself and call emergency services. Sadly, help would arrive too late to save 72-year-old Irma. The injuries she sustained were too severe and she would die at the scene. 73-year-old Grigor was hospitalised, but he would make a full physical recovery, although his emotional injuries would remain with him until his death a few years later. His final years were plagued with blame and guilt that he had let his wife down and didn't protect her. When the police investigated the murder, forensic experts discovered DNA from one of the home invaders. But police hadn't found the owners of the DNA, so no arrests were ever made. In August 2013, almost 13 years after the murder, the police announced they had what they thought would be a major break in the case. They said they were looking for five young men who broke into a mini golf course in 2010. They even released surveillance video of the break-in. But police did not explain how this was connected to Irma's murder two years earlier. That the DNA found in the break-in in the golf course belonged to the son of one of the men who had killed Irma. But then 11 months later, the police ruled out this DNA connection because of an error that had been made. The detective said that the familial DNA was a new technology and it was the first time it was used in Australia. And while there was a mistake in that testing, another DNA test was done and he confirmed something that the police always suspected, that the DNA found at Irma's murder scene was compared to the DNA found in the 1998 break-in and it was a match. The police suspected that the break-in in 1997 and 1998 were connected to the deadly home invasion in 1999. Now the police had the proof that at least one man broke into the couple's home at least twice. There is currently a reward of $500,000 for information that leads to an arrest in the case. Irma's grandchildren are spokespersons for the family, and they have revealed their frustration at the lack of progress on the case and the lack of communication from the police. Irma's grandchildren believe that DNA that is available holds the key to a resolution in the case. September 17, 2007. 36-year-old Stephen Spina had grand plans to spend his Monday taking his girlfriend out for lunch and then his 12-year-old daughter to a Yankees game. 
But when he didn't show for either, alarm bells went off for his loved ones. It was extremely unusual for the normally responsible and family-focused man to miss time with who he considered two of the most important people in his life. His girlfriend would arrive at his apartment and speak to a neighbour, who stated he had last seen Stephen at 9.30 that morning. However, when she entered his apartment to check on him, she came across a gruesome scene. Her boyfriend, Stephen, had been stabbed to death. Stephen's murder rocked the small, close-knit community, even more so considering there have been no leads. There was no scorned ex-partners out for their revenge, no enemies. Stephen wasn't involved in drugs or illegal activities. He was well-liked and respected. However, about a month before his murder, his ties were slashed. Stephen did report this to police, and he mentioned he thought a co-worker was responsible due to a recent argument. Now, this person was closely investigated for Stephen's murder, but he is not considered a suspect. Investigators are quite certain Stephen's murder was not a random attack, and it's likely he knew his killer. This is for several reasons. There was no signs of forced entry into the home, which means Stephen let his killer or killers in willingly, and there was nothing taken. Also, Stephen worked an unusual work schedule due to his job as a mail carrier. Whoever killed him must have known him well enough to know he was going to be home that morning. There is currently up to $40,000 reward on offer for information that directly leads to an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Stephen's murder. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you have heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.